Sometimes we have to prepare ourselves for the table. It needs knives and forks, maybe, or if we're going to use our hands, it needs to wash our hands. And we all take a part in that preparation of being ready for God to speak to us. So are we getting ready before we come to, for, us, for Jesus to speak to us? That's my challenge to my heart as well. Are we preparing ourselves ready to hear what God wants to say from his word? And then the table's there. The food is coming. Are you going to taste it? Or are you just going to look at it? Just going to smell it? You know, sometimes my kids go, so what's for tea? And I'll say, oh, you know, oh, we had that a few days ago. And then they sit down and eat it and like, mmm, oh, this is tasty. And sometimes we can do that with God's word, can't we? I've read that bit before. <laughs> I've read that. It's great, wonderful. But have you actually tasted it again? Have you have you savoured the flavours again? Have you unpacked the flavours? Have you looked a bit deeper? Have you decided to sit down with Jesus and have that meal? And so that was the picture today. Is are we expectant? Are we ready? Are we willing for God to teach us something new through the same scriptures, through the same words, that God's going to give us some more in our meal? So my challenge was let's be expectant. So let's just pray. And we might be reflecting and going through things that we've talked about for the last umpteen weeks, but let's ask God to bring a new flavor or a new dimension or something new for us to taste today. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the giver of good meals. You're the giver of good dishes. You're the giver, you say, come and feast at an abundant table that is full of you, is full of your goodness, is full of your Holy Spirit, is full of your life. As we were praying earlier and thanking you for who you are, your peace, your hope, your strength, your sustenance. But Lord, this morning, we need to eat of that table, not just see it and say it's wonderful, but actually imbibe it, actually take it and eat it and reflect on it and appreciate it. So Lord, we come this morning, I come saying, Lord, speak to me. I am here wanting to hear from you this morning, want to feast on the abundance of your goodness to us this morning, that we can actually come and, and be in an open place and hear about you. And we can use our Bibles and we have tech that we can use to, to feast on your goodness. But this morning we come and ask you to speak. Heavenly Father, speak, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm going to briefly go into John. I'm not going to say much because I'm going to leave that to all the others. But one thing that I love about John is that he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And he wrote that book. You know, it's, it's likely that he wrote that book. And he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And I, the other night when I was reading it, I was like, why don't you say that, Beth, to yourself? Beth. You are the one whom Jesus loves. You are the one whom Jesus loves. Put yourself in that place. Dwell in it. You know, we, we sing Jesus loves me. We, we talk about it. But do you really know it? And maybe even if it's that simple thing you do this week, wake up first thing and say, I am the one that Jesus loves. I am the one whom Jesus loves. I'm the one who he died for. I'm the one who he's taken my sin. I'm the one who is in me in, every, in all my situations. I am the one he loves. 
despite your circumstances, despite what's going on. John didn't have the greatest of things that went on with him and persecution, but he still was, I am the one that Jesus loves. And so that's my main point this morning. And there's a few bits in John 14 that I just want that really spoke to me. And it's John, um, John 14, verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. And I want to just highlight the bit that spoke to me this week. We will come to him. We will come to him. That's us and Jesus. So when you go into your day, he is walking with you in that day. He is with you as you go through your week. And we will come to him. And we want, that's talking about eternity, we will make our home with him. What a privilege we have that we can do it with him, in him. And so I'm going to hand over now to Marion, and she's going to explain a bit more and go into detail. Amen. God bless you. So following on from that, allowing Jesus to abide in us, allowing God to abide with us, our whole series has been all for Jesus. And I don't know what that means to you on a practical level. What does it mean? Not, not on a Sunday morning, but on a Tuesday afternoon, on a Thursday evening. What does making Jesus the center of your life really mean? Are you inviting him into your space? into the decisions that you're making at work, at home, in your universities, in your colleges, when you're cooking, when you're choosing your spices and your ingredients, are you inviting him in? Because he's interested in all that. We really need to ensure that it's not just a series that we've done and yes, it's the end of it, but that going forward, Jesus really is the central focus of our gathering. When we come to that table, Beth was talking about a table, when we gather, gather in church, gather around communion, that Jesus really is the center. And we're making him the focus of everything that we do. And that people can look at our lives and really testify that we are living for Jesus. Because we may be the only example that somebody sees. Just a couple of scriptures. I'm going to read John, but before then, I'll just read Genesis 1, 1 to 3. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, God spoke, he said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, when we come to John, when we read, we started reading John, we realized that the Bible is saying that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when God said, when He spoke, the Word that came out of Him, that Word was Jesus. He was there right from the beginning. He spoke. John continues to say, He was in the beginning 
with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. If you need life, Jesus is the life giver. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. God spoke, and that word was Jesus. He was there right in the beginning. He came into a world that was void, without form. God needed to bring order. He needed to create, and he, he, he did it with Jesus. You cannot create and build without Jesus. What are you trying to build? Think about it. Are you building a home? Is it a marriage, a relationship, a friendship, a career, your education? If God, <laughs> the Father, could not build without Jesus, we cannot. We can't build without him. We can't create without him. We need the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need all of them to come. To come and abide with us, as Beth has highlighted. And that's what happened in the beginning. They were all there. And that word that was spoken to bring about order, to bring about life, to bring light, that word was Jesus. And interestingly, we, we, we sang this morning that you show up in splendor and change the whole room. He changes everywhere that he shows up. When you allow him into your life, he'll bring about a transformation, a change. He cannot come and leave you the same. Everybody whom Jesus encountered, they changed. Their lives were transformed. Just read through the scriptures. And this is a daily thing. Allow him in. As soon as you wake up, allow him in. Connect with him throughout the day. As you drive, as you run to catch that bus, to catch that train. Connect with him. And he will change your whole environment. He will change your life and you will be a life changer as you go. Because you're so full of him, you'll be leaking him around. Can you imagine if we're all so full and just leaking Jesus wherever we go? Wherever we go. We need him every day. Constantly, hourly. Don't go through your day being disconnected from him. Because he really is the center of it all. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Marianne. That's, that's my wife, you see. <laughs> Amen. See, sometimes when she speaks, I don't know what to say next because she said it all. Hallelujah. We've had a very nice journey through the gospel of john and personally i've been stretched i've i've grown a bit i've done some unlearning and i've done some relearning sometimes there's unlearning to do in our lives if you ever thought everything you know is the final i think you'll be wrong so there are times where you need to go back and challenge some of the things you know or understand and get rid of them. Now, this person comes to mind as we summarize this book, The Life of David. And if you thought anyone had a difficult life, find out about David. 
But then all through, all through scripture, I did a search one time about a key word, the Lord is. Something David, most of the time, specified, the Lord is. I had over 120 titles he gave to the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my song. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. The Lord is my high tower. The Lord is this. The Lord is this. And so you understand that in spite of the difficulty he went through in his life, because he had made the Lord his strength, because he had made the Lord something to him, he was able to overcome. And so I relate David to your life. I relate David to the things you are going through. It doesn't matter what you are going through. What matters most is who you have behind you. And so when Jesus comes into the scene, he reminds us of who he is. I am. I am. He goes through the gospel of John and specifies about seven areas where he tells us who he is. Now the question is, do you believe it? One expert came to Jesus and said, what is the best or the greatest of the laws? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now the question is, do you follow the Lord with your all? Because God has given you his all. And all that he wants in return is for us to serve him with our strength. And what is that? It is to serve him with our full attention and our full focus. And unfortunately, that is where our issues are. Now, Jesus comes and says, in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He that follows me. So, I'm the light of the world. That's the first one. He that follows me will not hunger, and he that follows me shall not test. I keep asking, what has light got to do with food and water? Now, if you read carefully, you realize that when you follow him as your light, indeed, you will not hunger and you will not test. And the Israelites going through the desert tell us this. Apparently, he was the bread that was falling from heaven. He was the light that was shining on their life. And he was the water that came out of the rock. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, uh, 3 going says that Moses struck the rock and water came out of it. Through the death of Jesus Christ, we have living water for our lives. And so, all that you want us is that we give our life to him. We say yes to him. We say, I believe what you are saying. Do you believe Jesus is the light of your life? Do you confess it as the light of your life? As being shared, I believe um, Gareth was talking about it. There are so many gaps to fill in our life. And that gap can only be filled by the Lord. He goes on to say, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will never walk in darkness. You see, let me tell you one thing about the woman caught in adultery. She didn't have time to dress up. She was dragged 
into the presence of Jesus shamefully. But Jesus never condemned her. That woman is you. That woman is you. We all have things, you may have covered them, but you stand before Jesus uncondemned. You stand before Jesus shameless. Paul said that we stand before him without fault and guilt. Hallelujah. So I am the light of the world. He that follows me will never walk in darkness. He comes to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus has laid down his life for you. He's everything you need in your life. I am the door of the sheep. You pass through the door and he inspects your life and takes out certain things from you. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He that believes me, though he dies, yet shall live. There is a hope we are looking to. There is an eternity we are looking to. Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, Jesus has gone ahead of us. We have this hope as an anchor. Do you believe that? Will you say yes to that? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do you believe that? There's a truth God has said, a truth, a word God has spoken concerning your life and was sealed with Jesus. And that is the truth of God's word. It says, I am the true vine. All of us, the totality of our life is embedded in Jesus. We get our sap from him. We get our strength from him. Will you stick to him? Will you ask him to rule in your life? In your quietude, as Marian said, when you lie down, in your going out, and in your coming in, will you recognize that the Lord is my light and my salvation? Whom shall I fear? Lord, you are the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I have made you my strong tower, and I will not be moved. Are these your words? Are these the things you are comfortable saying? If you believe that he is, then you always make him your stronghold. The Lord bless you. Wow. Follow. You have to follow Marion. I have to follow you. It's just like, oh. I cannot follow you in many ways, Ralph. I can't follow your fashion and your tea. I can't follow in your height. I can't follow you in your words. But I have Jesus. Praise God. We have Jesus. And we're all for Jesus. And um, I think this is, it's, in some ways it's so hard to summarize this. But it's the beginning, isn't it? It's not the end of us. It's the beginning of our life with Jesus. And even if you've been a follower years and years, I want to say, Lord, today I'm going to follow you with everything. You know, I know that clip I showed earlier with Pastor Pete, you know, to actually meet him in the flesh. Uh, and I've met him before, I've heard, heard him speak on the platform, but to meet him in the flesh and just see a life surrendered to Jesus in such a powerful way. You think, wow, this is Jesus. And I see it in you guys, I see it in so many of you in conversations with you. You're given, you're all for Jesus. And, um, you know, I just want to just share a little, I suppose in some ways, just go back to, 
to basics with John. Why did John write this gospel? John 20, verse 30 to 31, and he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You may have life because you believe. You know, some of that, sometimes that's better translated as trust, trusting in God, trusting in Jesus, trusting in his words, trusting that he is the word, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's all those things that, that, that Ralph has mentioned. And this is who we're putting our life into. We're putting our life into his hands. We're surrendering to him. We're abandoning ourselves to him. And we do like to use this phrase, and I know this phrase, in terms of all for Jesus, we sometimes also use this phrase, and it's been mentioned before, and I love this phrase, that Jesus is the center. We are Jesus-centered. But all for Jesus also is not just embracing the life and the resurrection, it's also embracing the death. It's also embracing the cross. And I love the phrase Jesus-centered, but sometimes we forget that when we say we're Jesus-centered, we're also cross-centered. We have to be prepared to take up our cross. And I, I want the Jesus of the miracles. I want the Jesus of the signs. I love the fact that they're called signs, not just miracles. They point to who Jesus is. I love the Jesus statements of the I am and what he is, the bread of life, the vine, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, and the life. I love all those things. But I surrender to Jesus. And I surrender to the cross. Because Jesus did not want to avoid the cross. And in fact, those that did want to avoid the cross, what did he say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. It's a pretty strong rebuke for someone who doesn't want to embrace the cross, isn't it? I know that's Matthew and Mark, isn't it? But anyway, but yeah, you know, I know this is John's gospel, but forgive me. But that word, get behind me, Satan, that's a rebuke to say you're not prepared to embrace the cross. He embraces the cross. Jesus does not avoid the cross. And that has to be our way. Has to be our way. Our all for Jesus is to embrace all of him. And what does that actually mean? Again, I'm, I want to think practically. I want to think, how, what does that actually mean? That means taking a stand sometimes against the world. Not embracing the values of this world. We're going into a five-week series. And it's going to be a tough series. If people hear the words that I speak, I might lose friends. I might lose some influence, whatever influence I have. But I'm embracing the cross because we're going to make a stand. We're going to make a stand for truth. We're going to take a stand for what might be unpopular in this world. And we can't take those stands unless we're prepared to embrace the cross, to trust Jesus. You know, to embrace the cross means to trust. We're prepared to go right into the depths of the fire, as Daniel did, because we trust. We trust in Jesus. We don't need the popularity. We don't need the, the monuments and the honor. We don't need the high opinions of others. When we embrace Jesus, when we embrace the cross, that is the giver of life. That is life bringing. Nothing in this world can satisfy. It only produces more gaps, more need for things to fill us, to fill our life. When we say, Jesus, you are our all, our all. And that is what this series has been about. You know, we're told not to do, um, well, no, we are told, actually, we're told often that we should be doing great things for Jesus, to do amazing things for Jesus. Um, 
and I, I don't, I don't, this, is, this is being recorded, so I might have to be careful what I say, but there are networks around of church leaders that talk about faster and um, bigger and better and all sorts of things. And I have to be honest, I, I just want to avoid that stuff, to be honest. I just want to be in the presence of Jesus with my fellow brothers and sisters. We've had a, a 24 hours together, three of the four of us, uh, with, other, with other pastors in other churches who just love Jesus, who want to be in his presence, who want to build their life with rhythms around following Jesus and loving Jesus and being in his presence. That's where I want to be, folks. I want to be in that place that we are so dependent on him that as we move forward, God will do great things because we are dependent on Jesus. Because when we embrace the cross, we, we embrace servanthood, we embrace humility, we embrace the things that Jesus embraced. We give our lives and actually as we do that, God will do great things. There will be greater unity amongst us because we're all giving our lives to Jesus. There'll be more effective ministry and life-giving ministry because we're giving our life to Jesus. There will be kindness, and I want to see kindness of God displayed in this place, just as we saw earlier in that video. The kindness of God actually leads to repentance. Because as a church, we are kind because we've given our life to Jesus. We're embracing our all for Jesus. That people may find a house here, but actually they'll find a home in Jesus, which is far more important, actually, than just finding a house. They'll find a home in Jesus. Because we've embraced Jesus, but we've embraced his life, but we've also embraced his death. We've also embraced the cross. And as Ralph said, you know, Jesus spent most of his time with some of the most unimpressive people. Think of the woman at the well, you know, it was the woman at the daughter, the woman at the well in John 4. I am sticking to John now, you know, an outcast in so many ways. But Jesus was prepared to be with the outcast because he embraced the cross. Because he was not worried about reputation. You know, he didn't seek popularity. When people came to him in crowds, he could have kept the crowd going and kept building his crowd and crowding. Actually, sometimes he then said things that meant the crowd never followed him again. Because he said unpopular things. But he knew that in embracing the cross, that all division would be gone. All hierarchy would be gone. All worldly structures would be gone. that death would end, that life would begin. He set the example. He took up his cross. To give our all for Jesus means that we are Jesus-centered, yes, but we embrace all of him, all of him. Hallelujah. And the cross gives us access to be in this wonderful place that we've been this morning where I just simply felt that we were at the feet of Jesus in his presence. The cross has given is that access. Because we can come with clean hands and with pure hearts, not because of what we've done. What we've done does not give us clean hands. What we've done in this world and what we thought in this world does not give us pure hearts. But because of Jesus, we can come with clean hands and pure hearts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's his cleansing, his sanctifying, his forgiving that's given us that way. To be in his presence. I'm going to pick my highlight now. Sorry, it's taking that long to get up. But we're in time. We're in time. It's okay. But my highlight would be this, I think, if I'm going to say to you what my highlight is. It's John 6, 28, 29. It's leading up to that statement, I am the bread of life. I am the satisfier. I'm the one that will come and bring you life. And it's just, again, very simple. And it says these words. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? 
And I often ask this question to myself, Lord, I want to be doing your work. I want to be about your business. I want to be about doing great things and the temptation to do great things and wonderful things. And what does Jesus say? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the gospel of John. Keep on believing. Keep on trusting. Now, I haven't counted these. I believe Ralph when he says 102. I believe he's probably counted them because I know you. I've had to read this in a book. But 98 times that phrase, keep on believing, keep on trusting, is found in the gospel of John. 98 times. Is John trying to tell us something? I think he is. Trust in him. Believe in him. Give your life to him. Be in his presence. There is no other place we can be. No other thing that we can give our life to. Nothing can fill the gaps and the voids other than Jesus. And we give our all. Do we want to be that people? Do we want to be that church? I think I've said this before. And it possibly sounds a little bit harsh. But three or four people, totally on fire for Jesus. Totally following him, taking up their cross. is far greater than a church of 500 who are just coming along on a Sunday to spectate and just to observe and just to view. The three or four, they're the ones that will make a difference in this world. They're the ones that will do great things. Not because they're seeking to do great things, but because they've surrendered their life to Jesus. And church, I want us to be that church of surrender this morning. Of giving out all for Jesus. Can we stand together? Is that okay? Can I just invite my fellow pastors to come? We call them pastors, you know what? And again, we debate this. There's titles and all sorts of things. These are your brothers and sisters as well. They're surrendered lives. They're people that love Jesus. They're people that want to help you grow to love Jesus more. And their surrendered lives, I believe, represents what we as a church should be doing as well. They were all here to follow the call of God. And the call of God may be for you to be evangelists. The call of God may be for you to be a prophet. The call of God may be for you to be a servant alongside those that are unloved, that need mercy. The call of God may be for you to be a preacher, a teacher. The call of God may be for you to be a pastor. Hallelujah. But I'm just going to ask you this morning just to say, Lord, I'm not going to think about what you want, what those titles are, what those jobs might be, what that path might be. I just want to say yes to you, Jesus. I just want to surrender to you, Jesus, to your will. My path is no longer my own path. My path is the path of Jesus. And I just want to remind you that the path that Jesus followed involved a cross. It involved sacrifice. It involved giving his life. Are you prepared to be on that path?
Hallelujah. I say yes, Lord. Yes, Jesus. I will follow you. I will take up my cross. Hallelujah. And I thank you, Lord, that that is the path of life, of resurrection life, of eternal life. Hallelujah. I follow you because you are the giver of life. I believe and trust in you because you are the giver of life. Now, Lord, I don't want to be told 98 times to believe. I want to believe and trust in you right now and put my life in your hands right now. Hallelujah.